0: Hello, you're listening to a Medieval Madness podcast. To see the accompanying visuals, please check out our YouTube channel. Cheers! Now if you think that dentists are terrifying today, then you are completely correct. However they used to be even more terrifying back in the Middle Ages. Try to imagine it without anaesthetic and with no sophisticated dental tools. Ugh. Any affliction of the teeth meant a trip to the barber surgeon who was the go-to medical practitioner at the time, or even the blacksmith if no barber was available. It's a common misconception that dental care was poor during the middle ages, a lack of medicine and unhygienic conditions made the era a perfect environment for disease and ill health. Surprisingly though, there is a lot of historical evidence to show us that medieval people actually made great efforts to look after their teeth and gums. White, healthy teeth were seen as a sign of beauty, and bad breath was as undesirable as it is today. I hope you're taking notes. Archaeological studies show that only 20% of medieval people had tooth decay compared with an average of 90% during the early 20th century. And this is due to the lack of refined sugar in their diet. Most medieval people couldn't afford sugar and relied on natural sugars like those in honey and fruits for their sweet fix. Their diet was usually high in calcium, from dairy, full of vitamins and minerals from vegetables, and high in cereals. Perfect eating habits for low decay and good teeth. In medieval texts, cures for mouth cancer and treatments for tooth whitening are both mentioned, as are false teeth. Now, let's travel back in time, where 9 out of 10 dentists recommend this video. Welcome to Medieval Madness. Demon Barber Surgeon Those who were lucky enough to have enough money and had access to a larger university, town, or city could take advantage of the advanced medieval dentistry available. Peasants had to make do with their own remedies and the skills of a barber surgeon, or their own family and friends, to help them remove a tooth. Many botched extractions caused the dislodging of other healthy teeth during the process, dislocation of the jaw, the breaking of bones, and severe loss of blood. Barbers not only charged for their brutal treatments, but they also made the victim pay to buy back their own tooth. From the 6th to the 11th centuries, a lot of dentistry was carried out by members of the clergy as they were able to read medical texts. But in 1163, Pope Alexander III, as part of the Council of Tours, banned monks and priests from practicing surgery because the shedding of blood by a holy cleric was thought to be abhorrent and incompatible with their duty to God. Someone had to take over the role, so barber surgeons stepped up to the plate. They had been connected to monasteries for centuries anyway, in their original position as barbers, as the monks regularly needed their hair to be tonsured, which is the religious practice of shaving the top of the head. That's right, monks hair does not just grow like that. The tools used by barbers for their trade such as razors and sharp knives were perfect for surgery. A guild of barbers was begun in France in 1210 and fell into two categories. Surgeons who were educated at the universities and could perform more complicated procedures and barber surgeons who were specialized in more mundane practices such as bathing the customer, cutting hair, shaving beards and giving enemas. They were also sought out for cup therapy, bloodlettings, leeching, limb amputation when there was no other option, and of course, dentistry. Some barbers even travelled with armies during times of war to help with the wounded and keep the soldiers in good shape. The Tooth Worm From as early as 500 BCE, writings from the Sumerians depict toothworms as a cause of tooth decay, and evidence of this belief has also been found in ancient Chinese, Indian, Japanese, and Egyptian civilizations. This idea was still upheld during the Middle Ages. Cavities and tooth decay were thought to be caused by tiny worms that lived inside teeth, as well as an imbalance in the humours. It was believed that the worms would come out at night to eat any food that had been left on the teeth, Then they would burrow back inside the tooth before the person woke up. Gilbertus Anglicus discusses disease of the mouth and teeth in chapters 6 and 7 of his Compendium of Medicine, which was written in 1240. He believed that tooth pain without any swelling was caused by some sort of worm, and he recommended inhaling the smoke from burnt henbane seeds as a cure. A Flemish surgeon named Jan Pjerman, who lived in the 14th century, said that rotten humours resulted in holes in the teeth where, quote, worms are growing in the jaw. When those worms lay still, the teeth do not hurt. But if they are moving, then it hurts. He recommended plugging the cavity with a red hot needle. This treatment probably did work as it would have killed the nerve cells and stopped the toothache. Although it would not stop the tooth from rotting, so the patient would likely have to return at a later date for an extraction. A clever business idea. Pierman also advocated only pulling out loose teeth because if they were still stuck it resulted in a fatal outcome where he explained, many have died. The English physician John of Gaddiston learned his craft from studying books. His cures for toothache were mainly based on folk medicine and the use of charms. He states that, some say, the beak of a magpie hung from the neck cures pain in the teeth. He also suggests that dried cow dung or green tree frog fat can be used to make bad teeth fall out and that you should stab a needle into a worm which rolls up in a ball when you touch it, and then touch the bad tooth with the same needle to ease the pain. Other recipes called for ants' eggs and newts. Despite his obvious ineptitude, Gadderston became court physician to King Edward II of England. The first book that concentrated solely on dentistry wasn't written until the 16th century. The first written in the English language was in 1685 called Operator for the Teeth by Charles Allen. Nevertheless, Guy de Chauliac was a renowned French physician and surgeon. He wrote a medical guide to medicine and surgery in 1363 whilst he was physician to the Pope at Avignon, France. He also believed that worms caused tooth decay, stating that when an extraction is done and worms are found in the hole, then pastilles made from onion, henbane seeds, crushed pelletry, and goat fat should be sucked. In China, an amalgam of silver and liquid mercury was used for fillings from as early as the 8th century. But Guy recommended that cavities should be filled with myrrh, camel, pig fat, gallnuts, beeswax, and even sulphur and arsenic. As well as extractions, cancer of the mouth could be treated with sharp tools. Cancerous tissue would be cut out, and then the wound would be cauterized with a red hot instrument. The wound could then be sealed with egg yolk. Guy was one of the first writers to mention the necessity of dental tools, advocating the use of razors, knives, pliers, and files, among other fun-sounding instruments. He invented one of the first tools designed for tooth extraction, a device known as the pelican, which was used right up until the late 1700s, when the equally horrific dental key was invented. The pelican's shape resembled the beak of the bird, hence the name. Usually made from metal, the operative was able to loosen a tooth from its socket by using tremendous leverage. The tooth was pulled out sideways, the process being very painful, and the gums were often damaged during the procedure. Forceps were also commonly used for extraction. Pelicans and forceps and most other dentistry tools would have been made by the local blacksmith. Guy advocated securing loose teeth with gold wire or chain, however he did state that false teeth could be made if all else failed, and suggested that dentures could be fashioned from either human teeth or cow bone. Another crude instrument used by the barber surgeon was called the dental mouth gag. Tetanus, also known as lockjaw, jaw, is a particularly nasty infection that causes the muscles of the jaw and neck to contract, preventing the mouth from opening properly. Of course, we now have vaccines to prevent tetanus infection, which can be very dangerous, but in the middle ages there was no cure, only treatment for the symptoms. The mouth gag had jaws that were slipped into the mouth of the patient, the nuts were then tightened which caused the instrument to widen, forcing the mouth to open. It was a very painful procedure, which would, unsurprisingly, likely cause future problems with the jaw. A right royal pain. In the 15th century, King James VI of Scotland was known as a skilled carpenter, barber, and dentist. It seems that he was quite enthusiastic about his hobbies, going so far as paying his subjects so that they would let him bleed them and extract their teeth. One 15th century English king who suffered from chronic toothache was Edward V. Sometimes he had to be confined to bed for months on end because his mouth was so badly corrupted. It is known that Edward's last attack of infection was just before his uncle Richard III had him and his brother imprisoned in the Tower of London. In a document written by the French Emperor Charlemagne during his 8th century reign, he recommends which medicinal plants should be used for problems with the teeth. He was following the works of Theophrastus, a Greek botanist and philosopher. According to him, most of the products used as oral remedies could be mixed with almond oil which acted as a carrier. Cinnamon was useful for abscesses and infections, Ioschemus for its pain-killing qualities. Lesions on the gum could be caused by scurvy and it was recommended that the hedgerow plant, Alexander's, could relieve this problem. Black pepper was used to help with cavities, rose petals were crushed to make a mouthwash, and of course poppies were recommended for their soothing effects. As no real anaesthetics as we know them today were available, it was just recommended that a patient get blackout drunk before an extraction. Please do check with your dentist before doing this. During the 12th century, an extraordinary set of three texts known as the Trotula was written in Salerno, Italy. The writings covered the conditions known to affect women and their treatments, as well as a treatise on how to develop and maintain a woman's beauty. One of the three texts was attributed to a female physician known as Trota of Salerno. A beauty tip included in the Trotula describes how to make black teeth white by taking, quote, 10 drams of roasted pumice, 10 drams of salt, some honey, cinnamon, and cloves. The mixture should be heated up until burned and then rubbed on the teeth. Another recommends that a woman should quote, wash her mouth after dinner with a very good wine, then dry her teeth well and wipe them with a new white cloth to render them very white. Finally, she should chew fennel or lovage of parsley each day because it gives off a good smell and cleans good gums. Other early forms of tooth whitening included using aquafortis, which was diluted nitric acid. This whitens the teeth but unfortunately also ate away at the enamel and destroyed them. So, as you brush your teeth tonight just remember what our ancestors went through at the dentist and be thankful that you don't have to worry about the sickening tooth worm. Thank you so much for checking out Medieval Madness. I do hope you've enjoyed this video and we return with a new one every Friday so be sure to subscribe. Thanks again and I hope you all have an amazing week. Cheers!